Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do you death? Good evening, Phoebe. Are you excited for the Peter London part two? I'm very excited for the Peter London part two. I've managed to not Google it or look at anything <laughs> about it. So yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cool. Get me on yeah. ten to books all weekend. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's uh, yeah quite a good story to continue with. Um, I'll do a bit of a recap in a moment. Cool. But before then, is there any uh, news in the world of true crime? Uh, not really. I think um, we're recording this earlier this week, aren't we? So there's not yeah. we've not had a whole week in between uh, recordings. But um, some more has started to come out about the Fred West case, and I think um, you said they were going to start digging up. That's what they said on the news tonight. Yeah, yeah. They, they started clearing the cellar, taking doors off and taking things. So apparently um, the way it's come about is that a television company was making a documentary about Fred West, I guess, and, and this cafe came up. And they were in the cellar of this place and they managed to film or record some sort of images which includes blue material. Okay. And and apparently she was wearing a blue coat and had a blue bag and a lot of blue oh. stuff about it. And um, it's something to do with this blue material that's given them enough um, evidence that there yeah. might be something there. And they've also done something like that ground-penetrating radar on the cellar floor. Okay. And seen some anomalies. Cool. <laughs> um, but that, that's as far as they've got so far. Right, that's interesting. Ah, I was wondering um, how they kind of thought to dig there, but I think, like I said to you, oh, they've said they found bones, haven't they? Because no, and they then haven't. you said, no, they haven't. No, so... no, they definitely haven't. Not yet. They found but... well, there's this piece of material, but what this piece of material is, I'm not entirely sure. Well, hopefully by the next time we talk, we'll have some, um, we'll have some news about it, and we'll we'll find out what's happened. Yeah, Mary Bastholm, God rest her soul, she was only fifteen when she uh, disappeared and they're not even saying that he had anything to do with it but uh, they have enough evidence to start a dig and i've just found another news story on the bbc from january 2012 okay when there was an online petition for the police to investigate that particular cafe that they're now apparently attracted 121 signatures so not a huge um, but they rejected it at the time Gloucestershire police said that um, there was no evidence that had not already been investigated. Okay. So for them to now open it up again on the strength of this piece of material and, and what have yeah. you. Yeah, and apparently the proprietor of the cafe at the time said that a exercise book belonging to Mary mm-hmm. was found behind brickwork in the cellar. Oh, I mean, that's weird, isn't it? I mean, this is going back, you know, to the 2012 story. Yeah. But uh, And wasn't he known to have done some building work there? Yeah, he was, yeah. He was known to uh, have done work there, and there's a concrete floor that was laid or something. So Yeah. And her brother, again, this is from 2012, Mm -hmm. so that's like nine years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Said that they always thought that she was one of his victims. Who knows? No, well, hopefully they get some sort of um, closure. Yeah, yeah. 
And there's been a bit of a lifting in lockdown this week. There has. And that meant that we got to go to soft play. Amazing. Did you have a good time? We had a great time. We were there for four and a half hours. Um, <laughs> I think I sat down for maybe 10 minutes of those four and a half hours. <laughs> I'm pretty tired today. <laughs> but Toby was up at half past four yesterday morning and he went and got himself dressed and he came in and was like, I'm ready to go to soft play now. Oh, okay. Well, it's not open for another five hours. <laughs> Great. <laughs> did you have to so, uh, book a slot? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I booked a few weeks ago actually. When they when it was looking promising that the seventeenth of May was going to be uh, opening up day. So yeah. Um, yeah, one thing that I was pondering earlier um, is what gives you more protection from COVID, the vaccine or having COVID? Hmm. Don't know. I was, yeah, I might do some research. Because there must be an awful lot of people that have, have had it yeah. now. That's yeah, where that's herd immunity right. came from, was going to yeah, come absolutely. from, wasn't it? That's the, thing. the idea was everyone was going to get it yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then be immune to it. And be immune to it. So, yeah. And my, um, my friend in America had her jab this week. And when she had COVID, she had a massive, like, allergic reaction to it. She had it the same week that we had it. And she came out in, like, loads of hives and oh, was really gosh. swollen and stuff. And she had her vaccine and she had exactly the same reaction to the vaccine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if the vaccine has got a broader spectrum of mm. uh, variants that it might protect you against, protect you against. Whereas having had it would only give you against antibodies the against what you had. Yeah. I, I really don't know. If any yeah. uh, virologists are listening, yeah. <laughs> let us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the other piece of exciting news that's come out today is they have released the first trailer for the Dear Evan Hansen film brilliant so, that is um, it looks very good ben platt looks convincingly not 26 or 27 or however old he is so <laughs> More pushing 30 i think isn't he? but anyway yeah <laughs> um so yeah it looks it looks really good actually so brilliant i'm very excited for that to come out and i'm so looking forward to in the heights being yes released that was due last summer yes uh oh he's 27 yeah, I thought it was yeah. I think it was older my than ben No, I'm that's all right. <laughs> Gosh, he's younger than you. I know, yeah. <laughs> no. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah uh, In the Heights uh, was due to come out last summer, but of course it all yes. got delayed along with a lot of other big films, like mm-hmm. James Bond and all that stuff. Yeah, but, yeah I'm very much know. looking forward to, to hearing the music from it, even if they just released the, uh, the oh, soundtrack album, yeah. from it. That'd be um, good. They released a look at the Carnival de Barrio, I think. I don't know if you've seen the video to that. They released that yesterday, I think it was. Okay. Uh, I've seen the like the trailer for the film. No, there's like a proper clip of it. Okay. Of the film, so it's come out yesterday. Oh, wow. Oh, I'll have a look at that. That's great. That, I was looking the other day because I was like, um, murder and musicals are like my favourite things. And yeah. That doesn't exist as anything. Like, there's no Instagram, there's no podcast. I was like, hmm, <laughs> I need to jump on that, murder and musicals. <laughs> so the first musical to open is this thursday i think the 20th yeah it is yeah uh everyone's talking about jamie i think that's mm-hmm. the first one to open um yeah. I, I i guess there's still going to be limited capacity quarter yeah. full or something with lots of gaps between seats and things okay. I, I think that's how they're doing it um but dear evan hansen is going to reopen 
Yes, which is very, very good news. I think most things are going to reopen, actually. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and yeah. Julia, I really hope that opens again. Yes. Hamilton, I still owe you a trip to Hamilton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we Hamilton. had tickets to go and see to, to a sing-along and Juliet because that was all cancelled. So oh, of course, uh, I think we had yeah. the money back on that. Uh, I was listening to oh, it was Radio 2 on Sunday and... Um, mm-hmm. Petula Clark was was playing the Bird Lady in Mary Poppins in ah, the West End yeah. uh, when they were just called down to the stage. She said one evening and said, "Sorry, the show's not going on tonight. Uh, we're closing down." Oh God! So they went their different ways, but she's expecting to uh, revive that role when that opens That'd in August. And I was really pleased to see that um, Lucy Jones is going to join the national tour of Waitress when that goes nationally and so i bought tickets for that in february so we'll see where we are in february (laughs) um and matt from busted is playing dr pomata so that would be exciting so okay welcome to uh murder and musicals (laughs) (laughs) dad and daughter doing murder and musicals yeah (laughs) shall we have a look at the rest of the peter london story let's do it yeah so to recap very briefly, this is the entire, the previous episode in about two minutes. <laughs> Peter was born in Denmark in February 1972, and at the age of seven, his family moved to the United States, where they lived in Florida, and then in North Carolina. His father, Ole, and mother, Anna, split up. Ole and Peter moved around the state, settling back in Florida after staying a few weeks in Los Angeles, a few weeks in New York, a few weeks in Boston. But then, yeah, ending up in Florida. Ole and Anna got back together, where they all lived together in Florida for a while. Mm -hmm. Peter left school in 1988 at the age of 16 and got involved with drugs and drug dealing. Uh, He did start work then, but got in with a bit of a wrong crowd. The family moved back to North Carolina, where Peter finished his education and started working the same line as his father, the construction industry. His dad was a bricklayer both back in Denmark before they emigrated uh, and then again in the States. Peter and Oli were close. They had a good dad-son relationship. Yep. Dad and son do death. Yeah, literally. As as we learned last time. Um, Spoiler. (laughs) They were close and often drank together and they jointly abused Anna, who herself was not a great mother and an alcoholic. Uh, In 1991, after an argument about the length of his hair, Peter choked his mother to death. He and his father buried her body on the beach at Buxton on Cape Hatteras. The body was discovered about seven months later uh, when it washed back up onto the shore. Yes. Ole and Peter were tracked down to a hotel in Toronto and they were brought back to North Carolina to face trial. And they went to prison forever and that's the end. You'd have thought, wouldn't you? Yeah, (laughs) they killed a person. In 1993, Ole was sentenced to two years for being an accomplice to the death of Anna and then deported on his release. Peter, however, pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was given 20 years of prison time. While in prison in the first year or so, he took part in a Danish television programme during which he painted half of his face black. As you do. A psychologist watching the interview awarded him 39 out of 40 points on the psychopathy checklist. 
And he also married a woman, Tina, who started corresponding with him from Denmark after seeing him on TV. Mm-hmm. Then, due to an appeal and a policy to halve prison sentences to make room in jails, Peter was released and deported back to Denmark in June 1999. Ridiculous. After serving probably not much more than six years. Ridiculous. So that's where we pick it up. Well, him and Lisa lived happily ever after, (laughs) and no harm ever came to anyone ever again. (laughs) We shall find out very shortly. On his arrival in Copenhagen in June 1999, he was allowed just to enter the general population of the country because there was no reasons to detain him in Denmark. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he'd served his prison time, however much shortened it was. (laughs) He moved in with his wife, Tina, who, as far as we know, had not actually met Peter up until this point. (laughs) This whole thing fascinates me. Like these women who write to inmates who've done you know, generally particularly nasty crimes and then fall in love with them and marry them. Yeah. Like without even meeting them, knowing what they've done in the past, that absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. And it's quite yeah. common, isn't it? Ah, it's not really? unusual. Yeah. It's quite a lot. Um, I can think of at least three cases that we've done in this very relatively short time <laughs> that's happened. Yeah. Even that guy who was like stealing little girls' dead bodies met somebody and got married to her in prison so right. and that <laughs> was in a... russia and that was in russia so tina also had a daughter from a previous relationship i'm not entirely sure how old she was but okay. uh yeah now this arrangement of them living together lasted for about four months when okay. in the autumn of 1999 he violently attacked both tina and her daughter no. So he was so thrown out of the apartment in which they were living and he went to stay in a men's hostel. Peter started to visit brothels where he met Marianne Peterson, an employee of one of the establishments. Now, Marianne was born in 1963 and she was quite a young widow. And she had two young sons, Dennis and Brian, ages 12 and 10, and they lived in a Copenhagen suburb of Rodover. Now, Peter and Marianne became lovers. Marianne also had an older stepson. Yeah, and he lived elsewhere. He was he was older. Right. In early July 2000, the stepson became worried as he could not get in touch with Marianne or his half-brothers. Uh, he went to the house and he found an oddly worded note pinned to the front door saying that they had gone on holiday. So he went into the house. As you do. <laughs> Just put a note on your door. I'm going on holiday. <laughs> I'm not here to protect all of my items. Yeah. He went into the house and found it in complete disarray. <gasps> Furniture had been moved away from the walls. There was rubbish strewn throughout. And there were some disturbing smells, particularly oh. in the basement. He was very suspicious about what had happened and he reported them. So his stepmother and his two half-brothers missing to the police. To be fair, before you said about the smells, I was thinking, well, that's kind of what my house looks like before I go away. (laughs) (laughs) Someone was breaking here and they go, oh, my God, what happened? (laughs) So the police came round and they, yeah, realised that something wasn't quite right. The forensic team did their their work and they discovered bloodstains all over the place. Oh, no. In Marianne's bed. (gasps) 
between the tiles in the bathroom, oh, God. blood in the cellar. In the kitchen, human blood was discovered on chopping boards <gasps> and also on and around the blender. <gasps> in the oh, no. Blood was also found in Marianne's car and in a freezer, which was in an outside shed. I think there were several freezers in the house, a couple of freezers in the house. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Oh. So oh, it's starting yeah. to look a bit gruesome, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, please track down Peter Lundin. So they must have, well, there must have been some sort of connection to link him to them. Maybe the yeah. stepson knew that Marianne was seeing him or or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But please track down Peter. And he claimed that the family had gone away on holiday, as per the note that was stuck to the door. <laughs> and he had agreed to decorate the house while they were away. He's <laughs> not done a very good job. <laughs> Not so far. Decorated it with human blood. Not much sign of any paint, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) However, on the 5th of July 2000, London was arrested and charged with murder. Dum, dum, dum. That's so out of character for him. I know. You, You couldn't see that coming, could you? No, not at all. Yeah. Further investigations around the house led to the conclusion that Peterson and her two sons had been killed and dismembered. It looked like the first dismemberment had taken place in the basement, while the other two happened in the garage. Okay. Wow. Deputy Chief Inspector Niels Kjoller from the Criminal Justice Department told the press, both places, i.e. the cellar and the garage, looked like slaughterhouses even though Peter had tried to erase his tracks by cleaning up. Mm-mm. So from remnants of human tissue, the police technicians were able to observe that Lundin had used an angle grinder in the garage. Oh, no. And there were about 100 visible cut marks on the floor. Oh, my God. Which indicated that he'd also used an axe. No, there must have been blood everywhere in that garage. Yeah, but if they sprayed it with luminol, yeah, it would have. <laughs> it would have been redecorated. <laughs> it would have done, yeah. Yeah. So when he was confronted with this evidence, Lundin changed his story of what he knew about what had happened. Hmm. Well, that's that's about definitely what a, he knew. an innocent man, <laughs> isn't it? Changing their story. Yeah. Yeah. He claimed that in the night between the 16th and 17th of June, he heard screams coming from the basement. He investigated and found the two boys had been stabbed and mutilated by their mother, Marion. <gasps> he claimed that she was unconscious due to drugs. He beat her because of what she had done to the boys, but he claims not very hard. But she died shortly afterwards as a result of this not right. very hard beating while she was unconscious due to drugs. <laughs> so he, so he's still admitting that he beat her to death. Yeah, but not hard. He didn't not hard, to. but yeah. he still killed her. <laughs> like he didn't mean to strangle his mom. Like he didn't mean to, yeah. So he doesn't know his own strength. His <laughs> clearly not, no. It's all that hair. Yeah, like Samson. Mm. <laughs> Now, he claims he didn't call the police and report this as he feared they wouldn't believe him because of his past. 
but instead decided to dismember and dispose of them. That's a much more sensible thing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. However, on October the 10th, the same year, year 2000, he did actually confess to killing them. <gasps> dun, he, dun, dun. I know, yeah. Perhaps he has got a conscience after all. Maybe. <laughs> he explained that Marianne and he had argued because she had spoken sweetly on the phone with another man. Uh, yeah, I think some of this is, well, all of this is translated from Danish. Uh, okay. A of, of what a, the main source of what I'm using, <laughs> which is mostly Wikipedia <laughs> and Murderpedia. So uh, he he argued with her because she had spoken sweetly on the phone with another man. So basically he was jealous. Sounds like it. So I'd say. Now, this is in quotes. So um, the quote is, subsequently, they all got up to fight on her double bed in the bedroom. Now, when he says all, I don't know if he, he the translation is just that he and her fought, yeah. or whether the boys got involved as well. Yeah. But anyway, apparently there, he broke all three of their necks with his bare hands. Jesus. After the murder, he placed the bodies in the freezers at the house. Now, that's what he told the police. Now, this story couldn't be fully corroborated, um, as they think, for whatever forensic evidence they found, that one of the boys definitely died in the basement. Okay. Not entirely sure how they know where he died, as opposed to just being dismembered, but uh, yeah. that's what they say. Um, but investigators found it unlikely that he had broken their necks in the way that he claimed. Now, there is actually a picture of him reconstructing how he broke oh, wow. his necks, uh, and I'll put that on our Come. on our social pages. That's like a really common thing, isn't it, in Europe, for them to get the killers to really reenact their crimes. Yeah. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's just it's like um it's almost like a mannequin of a see that. It's like oh, a mannequin God. of a child and he's uh, explaining how he got it. Yeah. Got I the do head have a ret- fundamental issue with that though, because he'd have had to obviously he could have done all three of them at the same time. So he'd have had to have done one of them first. What were the other two doing while he was strangling the other yeah. one? You know? And that is possibly why they don't believe that that's what he did. Yeah. I mean, why confess to snapping their necks when what he really did was probably much more gruesome? Yes, yeah. and he clearly did I mean, it, and they've got quite a lot of evidence to prove that he did do all those horrific yeah, things to them. So. Yeah, so he probably didn't snap all their necks, as as they no. as the investigators concluded. Uh, there was further evidence to his guilt because doing their investigations police found cctv that on the 19th of june right london was recorded shopping at a large supermarket where he bought an axe rubber gloves plastic bags and like bleach and detergent and stuff so i think we've probably Mm. all seen on true kind television (laughs) programs where there's a cctv of someone checking out in yeah. <laughs> Home Depot. Yeah. With <laughs> all those sort of places. All the things with... that you need to cover up yeah. a crime. Yeah. Big bottles of bleach, rolls and rolls of plastic sheeting, axes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Blenders. 
<laughs> There's no mention of the angle grinder, but maybe they you would get that. <laughs> Being that he was a bricklayer, I suppose he uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> would have had access to. Or his dad was a bricklayer as well. May have had access to that sort of stuff. The thing is, like, if he um, did, if he strangled them like he said he did, why would he then go and dismember them so viciously to cause that much damage, like the ground and stuff, to break them up again? Yeah. Well, I don't believe him. Thirty-nine out of forty on the psych- yeah. psychopathy checklist. Probably, <laughs> Might have something to do. With says. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm not a psychopath. That's good to know. Yeah, who knows what his motives were? But uh, mm. yeah, Lundin put the body parts in plastic bags, which he placed outside the house for waste collection. <gasps> no. Yeah. Uh, which was then duly collected and taken for incineration. Oh. He he probably then drove further around the island of Zealand. Remember, that's the bit mm-hmm. of them. Old Zealand. Copenhagen. Yeah, Old Zealand, which is where Copenhagen <laughs> is. Uh, it says here in Marianne's Ford Mondeo. Okay. And placed smaller body parts in other waste receptacles. As part of the investigations, they sifted through thousands of tonnes of rubbish at various waste disposal sites and things, but no trace of any of their bodies has ever been found other other than the tissue that was left in the house. Wow. All three of them, never been found. Jeez. So they could only piece together based on what they found in the house. And I guess what he says to a certain extent, but yeah, can well, you trust him? <laughs> I don't know. doesn't look like it, does it? No. So the trial. The trial of Peter Lundin uh, took place at the Ostra Landsret, which is the East Courthouse, as opposed to the West Courthouse, <laughs> <laughs> on March the 5th, 2001. Now, a few days beforehand, the the police and the state prosecutor hoped that Lundin would admit his guilt to deliberate manslaughter. Do you remember? He was convicted of manslaughter Mm -hmm. in America rather than being put on trial for murder. However, this time he didn't. So presumably he wanted to take his chance with a trial, a jury trial. Um, Doesn't seem like the most sensible thing to do, but okay. Well, yeah, that that was the choice he took. Yeah, he he's not made great choices so Uh, far, though. Really, (laughs) no. Uh, Yeah, so he decided that his fate should be decided by judge and jurors. I think the legal system is different in Denmark to what we're familiar with. Um, There were three judges and twelve jury. Lundin's lawyer, Bjorn Lund Hansen, tried to make the case that his client should only get a a limited timed penalty. He agreed that his actions were obnoxious and creepy, but nevertheless appealed to the jurors and judges to settle for giving Lundin just 16 years of imprisonment to the murders. He argued this by comparing his case to that of Dr. Elizabeth Weaver, who in Denmark was sentenced to life 
for a murderous arson attack against her lover's wife and two children. And he argued, the, the lawyer argued, that killing by fire is an aggravation. It is an expression of a carefully planned crime, while my client's actions are spontaneous and impulsive. Now, going back to what we were saying last week about yeah. um, the hot-blooded, cold-blooded mm-hmm. murder, where hot-blooded could be regarded as being manslaughter because it was spontaneous, whereas cold-blooded is more thought out, more deliberate. Yeah, so he was trying to claim that he killed them on the spur of the moment out of jealousy or whatever. It goes back to that thing about intent, though, doesn't it? Like, if he intended to do it for even a second, then that's murder. If he accidentally ran the three of them over or he was driving badly and they were killed in a car crash that would be manslaughter because he caused their death wouldn't it but at some point he intended to kill them or he intended to hurt them so that's murder that's not manslaughter i mean i'm not i'm not a lawyer but (laughs) that's Mm. how i would uh, view that case well yeah well and his defense lawyer though was was arguing that yeah, yeah. Well, the opposite, obviously, that you know, yeah. <laughs> that uh, they were hot blooded, spontaneous, and therefore he should be convicted of manslaughter rather than premeditated murder. Now, before the jurors retired, now what, what they do apparently is they vote, okay, the, ju- the jurors and the judges vote, and there's a total of 24 votes, so each of the jurors get one vote each, and okay. the three judges have four votes okay so that adds up to 24 but before they went out to vote i I suppose it's similar to what we would do go out to deliberate amongst the jury to come back with a verdict uh he was given an opportunity to address the court and he took that opportunity and he said we must all have peace now we must have peace in our mind and our soul that was it okay (laughs) So anyway, after the, this, this court case took 10 days, it was only 10 days in court, the three judges delivered the verdict on Peter of life imprisonment. Uh, the sentence of lifetime imprisonment was unanimous from Good. the jury and the judges, and it came after only 10 minutes of voting. So wow, okay. Like 10, <laughs> 10, minutes, 10 minutes of deliberation. Yeah, they didn't, uh, they didn't hang around with that. So. They don't mean life until they need some more room in the prison. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point, though. I don't know what life in Denmark means, whether it means life without the possibility of parole or whether it means life nah, 15 years, which would oh, be look, with the uh, which would be the sort of sentence that his lawyer was arguing for. <laughs> so according to Wikipedia, in Denmark, a life sentence, which is also called a livsverdigt, Fengsel oh, yeah. is the most severe conviction and is reserved for the most serious crimes. People who get sentenced to life can request a pardoning after 12 years. The average imprisonment is 17 years um, and there's only been four that surpassed 30 years. So, okay. yeah. So he may not spend the rest of his life in prison. No, it looks about 20 years, 17, 20 years. Okay. So it's not really very long, is it? Well, this was all happening in 2001, so that was 20 <gasps> years ago. Dum, dum, dum. Hmm. 
Now, do you remember um, when they were back in America, his father, Ole, was convicted of being an accomplice and he was given two years. Yes. But this time there is no evidence that his father helped him to dispose of the bodies or in any way involved. But he was convicted in June 2002, so like a year after the main trial, for four months of unconditional imprisonment for theft of articles from Marianne Pedersen's personal belongings. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you know what it was? No. Was it the ankle grinder? Did he need a new ankle grinder for his uh, <laughs> Maybe it was. I, no, I don't know. I have no idea what, what the items were, but uh, he was sentenced to four months, which he had to do. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, now, Peter Lundin didn't have it all easy while he was in jail. Before the trial in July 2000, so shortly after his original arrest for mm. the Danish murders, he was attacked by several inmates for his involvement with murdering children. Okay. Good. Uh, he was struck by an iron bar, which broke his nose. In February 2002, he was attacked again when he was beaten by fellow inmates, this time with a frying pan on his okay. head. <laughs> He filed a case against the prison authorities and demanded $10,000 in compensation for the harm done. But he was awarded roughly $83. Oh, okay. <laughs> so not not what he wanted. Uh, no, in compensation by the Ostra Landsret. <laughs> yeah. uh, in 2007, he was transferred to a top security state prison in East Jutland. Okay. But he was uh, subsequently moved back to the uh, prison where he started off his sentence, which is the Hurstvester. And also while he's been in prison, he has made other attempts to claim damages against various <laughs> journalists and politicians. Uh, one, one particular famous case in... November 2008, the then Polish People's Party chairman, Pierre Kiarsgaard, said on a breakfast television show that he is simply as callous as you can possibly be. That is the Mm -hmm. translation of the quote. Uh, In 2009, Lundin tried to sue her for 100,000 Danish kroner. However, this claim was rejected and... Kiarsgaard was acquitted of any wrongdoing. Good. Yeah. So just a few more other interesting um, things that have happened to Peter Lundin since he's uh, been mm-hmm. in prison. You may remember he married Tina, who he then went to live with, but that didn't last very long when he nope. actually got there. Um, on September the 28th, 2008, he was married to Marianne Poulsen. Okay. But after 11 days, she (laughs) filed a divorce when she claimed that he had lied to her about another woman with whom he was a lover. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) While they were married. Now, how that works, I have no idea because um, he's in prison. prison. (laughs) (laughs) In 11 days. It's very confusing. How how has he got so many women so interested? In I don't know. I mean, I suppose he's not a bad-looking 
bloke. But, he killed yeah. four people. I know, I know. But some people like bad boys. Jesus Christ. as bad and as bad, though, isn't it? As bad as those 39 out of 40 on the psychopath scale. Yeah, and four bodies, including your own mother. Yeah. And, and it's and not two like he's. Two children. Two, two children that he, like, cut up with an angle grinder. <laughs> yeah. He's a bad person. He's a bad person. But that didn't stop him marrying for a third oh my time. God. May the 26th, 2011. Wow. He married a lady called Bettina. And they were together, as together as you can be when you're, when you're in prison. <laughs> yeah, from 2009, so presumably before that she married, until the 3rd of October, 2017. When wow. And they, they divorced. It's a long stretch for him. <laughs> I suppose she didn't have to actually spend any time with him. <laughs> uh, he also had problems with drugs while in prison. Okay. In August 2006, he was sentenced to 40 days by the court of Glostrop for holding 92.7 grams of cannabis in his prison cell. Wow. So I don't know if that 40 days was added on to whatever prison sentence he had. But, um, yeah. Where did it come from? <laughs> smuggled in maybe yeah. off another prisoner who knows mm. we well, I, I think went, drugs in prisons is a known problem everywhere it's it? true i went to um a meeting once in a prison it was really random in a prison but it was great and um they had the most incredible bread that's my big take home from that day um made by the prisoners but yeah. um they there was signs we had to go through so many security scans to get in and there was loads and loads of posters around smuggling in drugs and why you shouldn't be smuggling in drugs and how they'll find yeah. you if you're smuggling in drugs yeah it's a it's a problem even in denmark <laughs> <laughs> uh he was again sentenced to a further 10 days in prison for having 8.5 grams of cannabis and four amphetamine pills in 2011. Uh, And in 2012, he was accused of being behind the smuggling of cannabis and other substances in the Institute in Hurstvester, which is the prison that he's spending most of his time. He got fed up with the name Peter Lundin in 2011. He changed his name to Niels Schaffner. Okay. was his mother's maiden name. Okay. That's nice of him to remember her. Um, but then he changed it to Bjorn Schoenberg. Oh, okay. It's Bjorn, B-J-A-R-N-E. Okay. Schoenberg. So what name he goes by at the moment, I honestly don't know, but everyone knows him as yeah. Peter Lundin. So that's his story. Just as a footnote, Ole... His yeah. father actually died in 2014 at the age okay. of 79. There you go. I was thinking he must have been getting on quite a bit. Yeah. Maybe. Apparently he was born in 1935. Okay. So it must have been very young when he and his brother joined the army in 1950. Yeah. There you go. So well, thank it. you for that. That's yeah. a great story. It is a great and, story, uh, isn't it? <laughs> nice bit of gore. Nice bit of a worldwide tour. Yeah. And... Yeah, well, I still can't believe they let him out of prison after like six years for killing his mum. Crazy, isn't it? Wow. Well, thank you very much. No, you're welcome. Uh, you're and welcome. our first two parter. It's been an interesting, uh, interesting one to find mm. out about. Yes. I can follow suit next week. <laughs> Look forward to it. Mm. So, if you'd like to see some pictures of Peter Lundin, um, there's also some pictures 
of Marianne Peterson and the boys. Uh, I will be putting them onto our Instagram page, which is at dad and daughter do deaf. And they'll also be on our Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash dad and daughter do deaf. Yeah. And if you want to uh, leave us a message on there or um, just at least like us, that would be great. great. (laughs) Uh, You can get our podcast from most podcast platforms again leave us a message or a rating that would be good or if you want to contact us by email you can at dad and daughter do death at gmail.com and we very much look forward to hearing from you definitely so you, you, um, your turn to tell me a story next time phoebe my turn to tell you a story next time yeah so yes. uh, join us next time when once again dad and daughter do death <laughs>